1: You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The age of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the Event Horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we journey into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Hello! Welcome to episode 124 of the Event Horizon. Our guests today... Are the director, the writer, an actress, actually two, an actress and an actor, uh, all of whom, uh, are the people responsible for a new science fiction feature film thriller, an independent film called Occupants. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. you. And, Thank uh, and, you.
1: and Thank we you have, writers. we have Russ Emanuel, Julia Camera. Bright, uh, Brianna White and Michael Pugliosi. Pugesi. Okay. There you go. Pugesei. Pugesi. Like so it's Perfect. like Scorsese, except it doesn't look like that. It <laughs> <Yeah. doesn't.
3: laughs> Actually, no, that's pretty good. There you go. Right in Scorsese.
1: Pugcey. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a tongue twister. So so mm-hmm. the tell us a little bit about uh about about the film and how you got the whole thing started. Russ, let's start with you. You're you're the director. So
2: hey, well thank you for having us on the show. Um uh, I really appreciate it. I know my whole team does too. And um basically the film is called Occupants. It's about a young couple and um, their names are Annie and Neil Curtis and Annie Curtis is a documentarian. Well they decide to embark on a new 30 Days of Clean Living documentary and they set up cameras all over their house. Now while they're doing that as they're shooting it, they inadvertent, inadvertently uh, capture a parallel version of themselves in, this, in their house. So it's it's like a parallel house. It's very similar, but there are differences. And at first, it's like a one-way mirror. they can only observe. And then uh, over time, what happens is they're able to send objects back and forth through a portal. So the two universes are connected. Now, it turns out that the parallel version, uh, the parallel couple, are not very nice people. So what starts out as science fiction turns into horror. And that's what the film is about.
1: It's, um, it, the whole thing is, um, a unique structure. It's got a unique structure because of the way it was shot. It's, uh, it's all the, Whole film is set up as the basis, um, you know, on the basis of it being what various cameras placed around the house would see for a, a slice of life a webcam video show. Yes. So that means none of your cameras move.
2: What was it? There, there are some handheld shots, but a majority of our cameras, yeah, they were static. Which, by the way, helps with visual effects.
0: I bet it helps a lot with visual effects. But your your uh, your director of photography must hate you.
2: Uh, well, he's still talking to me. His name is Emil Harris, <laughs> very wonderful guy. Uh, I know uh, Brianna and Michael got to know him very well.
0: Yeah, I bet.
2: <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, no, he's he was a great guy. He had some great ideas. Um, for instance, uh, the real world is very colorful in our. Main characters, Annie and Neil Curtis, they're very colorful and very happy people. But their parallel versions are very dark. They're brooding. So we made the look very monochromatic.
0: Wait, and uh, Spock has a beard, right? No. Yes.
2: But you see, this is like, uh, it, unlike, uh, parallel Spock that had the beard, the real Neil has the beard. And the parallel Neil has, uh, he's clean shaven. Now for Annie, she's a blonde in real life and she's a brunette in the parallel world. So, you know, we played with the colors, um, the director of photography and I, and, um, you know, he gave us a very, very interesting look for the parallel world. I,
1: I did notice that in the trailer for it, there was a very significant difference between the bright curved edge, you know, I, iP- yeah. uh, uh, Apple, Apple store, <laughs> version of reality, if you will, uh, as yeah. contrasted to the, uh, the dingy greenish uh, world of the alternate universe.
2: Well, I also worked with my production designer, Tatiana Kulonoff, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, let's say, the artwork that's on the walls. So mm-hmm. for the real world, it's very curved, you know, very soft. But for the parallel world, everything's jagged. Everything has edges. And that was done very purposely, uh, purposefully. So if you watch the film, uh, and you look very careful, very carefully at the parallel world, you'll definitely see a difference.
1: I love the fact that, uh, I mean, it's, you have sort of a minimalistic, uh, uh, filmmaking, you know, approach to filmmaking here. It's a minimalistic style and that allows you to control every tiny aspect. Of the film from a creative standpoint, I think that served you very well. Well,
0: I think it's what makes it credible from a continuity standpoint too. You don't want, you know, every throw pillow in the house to have to have to keep track of those.
2: Oh, there there was continuity issues, um, and uh, we had a script supervisor, Alexandra Sanders, and trust me, it was very necessary to reset. Um, well, the sets, you know. Um, for instance, if a pillow was thrown or whatnot, then they had to be reset. And it does happen quite a lot in the film. So there are continuity. Now, I think the major downside to how we shot it is because it's a found footage and very static type shots is, uh, there are very few cut points, like in editing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? In a narrative feature film, you would like cut to the close up or the, I don't know, to a, a tracking shot or whatever, mm-hmm. not, you know, but here it's like, where can you cut to? Well, we figured it out. It was, we glitched from the real world to the parallel world. And that was our cut point. Oh, now good. I'm telling you, uh, Mike and Brianna did a wonderful job because basically this is like a play, you know, every room it's, it's a white shot mm-hmm. and they have to act. Interact in that room for every scene, you know, whichever room—the living room, the kitchen, um, uh, the dining room. So you know, it's kudos to them. And you know, Mike, Brianna, and I—what we did—and same thing with Robert Picardo, who plays a character in the film, um, Dr. Peterson. We rehearsed. Um, you know, we found our marks, and uh, we had rehearsals, and we did that for every scene. And I, I think that was the only way to be able to get the most authentic performances out.
1: Michael, what was it like uh working with uh uh working with cameras that you couldn't actually you know, you, you weren't you weren't looking at the cam, you weren't uh you were playing uh, work- to the camera. Yeah, you were playing to the camera, but you weren't um, you weren't working with a camera that could like come in for for uh <laughs> There's Julia's, to- baby. Uh, Julia's baby. Julia's baby is not. That's I mean, okay. It's, I'm, I'm going just trying go
4: inside the closet here. Julia, you know, she'll are be a
1: wonderful a si-
5: laptop or a phone. <laughs> I'm on my phone because I, I know on my on my Skype on my phone, it has an ability to mute my mic when I'm not talking. So it might help if you when other people are talking, maybe mute it. Yeah, it's oh. You know,
1: it's kind of okay. I mean...
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a family, yeah, it's, okay. it's a family show. It's family show. the parallel
1: universe. No, yeah. it's, this is the good universe. <laughs> this, this is the, the good hell? one. This your, is the one where Julia has a, beautiful beautiful a little daughter. She's
0: <laughs> healthy. She's strong. She has a voice.
1: That's a good thing. Yeah.
3: She's yeah. our
1: number one fan. Julia yeah, did you, I, I don't
3: mind I don't mind it she
1: she's she, your baby must be very young was she did she arrive during the show or what happened there
4: no actually when uh, uh when I first met with uh Howard or Howard Nash our producer, I was about six months pregnant
0: uh-huh. um,
4: and when we were shooting this when they were shooting this she was about five months old and she's a year and a half now just about.
1: She must have been very well-behaved on the set. Oh, she
2: well, yeah. was. She was. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, according to Russ, she never cried. Um, she didn't.
2: She didn't <laughs> cry. I'm telling you. She was very well-behaved baby. Um, I, I was a uh, very cute baby. I'm still very Thank cute. Thank you. But was definitely a cute baby uh, when we were on set. And we shot the film a good, what was it, 14 months ago, I guess? Um, September, October of 2014. So I think I think uh, Emmy is now what? Um she must be 3 years old. Uh no, she
4: is uh 20 months. So just a little over a year and a half. So this okay. is how Oops. this
0: is how you get an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, you push one out. <laughs>
0: you
2: make your own. So that's, that's, that's how you get an Emmy. I see. Cute. Okay, she's, she's, got, she's got this so, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, wired. we joke
4: that if she were a boy, she'd be named Oscar or Tony. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs>
0: this is why uh, the Ghostbusters two, the character had a, had a baby and they named him Oscar. And going, is this is the only Oscar we're gonna get? Boom, <laughs> 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 boom.
2: That's funny. That's funny. That's so, true. Yeah,
1: that's right. The baby was named Oscar. That was why. <laughs> so, what was, what was it like working on a stage where the cameras were all locked off, uh, Michael? Let's, um, let's hear from it was. You. It was. Uh, it was.
3: It was like any other film. I, I'd say, uh, as a performer, I kind of, you kind of zone everything else. So as I'm as I'm in the zone, and I'm my character that I choose that I'm trying to portray, and I'm trying to bring to life for, uh, for us. I don't really notice the cameras or the lighting or anybody behind the camera. So it's really, for me anyway, um, it's the same thing. If the camera was tight to my face or if it's, you know, meters and meters away, static or not, I'm still going to be present and I'm still going to be playing with my scene partner. So uh, for me, it didn't really um, put any strain on my performance. I feel like uh, the only thing that was difficult is that I just had to kind of position myself so the camera could see um, my face as we as we exchange dialogue, or the light could catch my face on our marks. But other than that, uh, it's pretty much like any other film,
2: I'd say. Well, accurate. there is there is one difference, Mike. You you were able to break the fourth wall. Yes, yes. When we well,
3: yeah, um, occasionally uh, when when we would break the the fourth wall, um, we kind of interact with the audience. So I, I'm looking directly into the camera rather than zoning it out but that's only for specific um specific times in the in, in the film when when it's necessary to do so but other than that um i'd say that like i said before it's like any other performance unless I, I would have to look into the to camera to direct uh something other than that but but yeah
2: well i think it was more so for brianna than your character because she was a documentarian of the film so um you know she would look um and you know I mean you could ask Brianna this directly but um from what I remember Brianna you definitely looked at the camera quite a lot because you had to you were the documentarian
1: Brianna what was it like for you
5: Um I mean yeah there there are, it's interesting because with um with vlogging becoming more and more popular and YouTube becoming you know the force of nature that it is um it felt very much um like a YouTube video sometimes, you know, I'd sit down and look into the camera and tell them about my day, which is not something that I usually do in my life. But um, so it, it was different in that aspect. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because that more than anything doesn't feel like acting. But yet it is because they're not exactly my words, they're words on the script. So it was definitely a change as far as that the vlogging aspect of it.
1: So, as an actor, do you have, uh, do you find yourself, uh, in a situation like this, are you much more conscious of the, uh, uh, the physical space on the, in the performance area? You know, the volume of space that you're trying to occupy and project into?
5: Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's, as an actor, you're always, you know, in most films, you're kind of trying to ignore that the camera is there. But in this one, y- you, you always have an awareness that it's on and that it's watching you, and that sort of even amplifies the perverse thriller, you know, fly on the wall aspect to this film. And I think that that is really important to have some awareness of where the camera is spatially in the room.
0: I think I think these actors would be less affected by that than real, uh, uh, so-called reality television uh, performers who Maybe. are having to improvise and work with the same situation.
1: Well, and yeah. you, and on a reality show you've got somebody with a steady cam walking around all the time.
0: Well, I was the, you know? I don't know. I fortunately a... I've never been on one. <laughs> but I've got friends who were and ooh, we're not happy with the experience, but when there's a, like yeah, a house, you know, and and there's th- cameras in every room of the house, those don't move either.
1: Julia, uh, Julia Camera, what was it like to, what was it like to write a show like this where you, uh, uh, you couldn't necessarily rely on the director to, to figure out exactly, uh, what the cameras were supposed to be doing shot by shot?
4: um so there's my child again i'm sorry it's okay That's all right. <laughs> i was a mute the whole time hearing her scream <laughs> um and here we go uh so it was it was definitely a different process writing this film versus uh other films that i've written uh because you are trying to simulate this idea that this is uh well i mean you're always trying to simulate that dialogue is slice of life Uh, but in this case even the staging and you know setting up where they live and how they live and how she's going to go about making this film uh, all of that had to be really natural and casual and at the same time still sound interesting we hope Uh, but yeah I, I found myself directing a lot on the page and just you know writing things they usually don't write like you know POV and handheld and Um, Things like that, just to create the setup of what she's doing and how she's doing. And a lot of plot pertinent things, uh, especially that the parallel Annie is doing, they really had to be told, you know, one way or the other. You have to justify where these cameras are. uh, And the cameras become almost like another character in this case, Mm -hmm. because everything that's being captured is, you know, you're explaining why it's being captured that way. Who's who's filming? And where is that camera specifically? And as we get more into the film, uh, especially the parallel universe, there's, they're playing a lot to the camera, um, which you guys will see when you see the film.
1: Russell, what was it like uh, directing a film where, um, where you couldn't, you didn't have the option of moving the cameras around once it was set?
2: Well, first off, it was great because, you know, Julia Cameron was like our storyboard artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> she, she took the hard she uh that that's a pretty hard uh job to do. So, thank you, Julia. No, it was great because um, you know, you think outside the box and you think creatively. And I did work with my GP. I mean, look, when you um uh, Julia wrote the script, right? But we didn't have the location locked at that time. So, once we got the location and we got this really great place um uh, south of um it, it's in uh, near Culver City I guess mm-hmm. Culver City California in Los Angeles and so did you rent an apartment hu- ha- or did
0: you rent was a that, house or something or
2: yes we rented from a company uh called Airbnb so we literally owned a house for a good 12 13 days I think um which was great because I actually stayed there for the duration of the shoot and no, no it was openings to, to
0: uh, parallel universes opened up while you were there, right?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I have some stories about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the house did treat us very well. I'll put it that way. Um, but basically, once we locked the location, then the script had to be adjusted mm-hmm. based on reality. And the reality is we're shooting at this very specific house. So... I I was discussing with my director of photography, who I mentioned before, Emile Harris, about where to set the cameras and, you know, how we can, uh, I guess, have the actors interact. Uh, Michael brought up a very good point because this is kind of like film footage, right? If, let's say, our actors, they have their backs to the camera and they give a very emotional performance, nobody's going to see it. So sometimes we did have to play to the camera. And we took that into consideration when we did, let's say, rehearsals. So, um, what what was it like? It, it was a challenge. I think. Um, I think um, I, I love challenges, you know, because it allows you to think creatively, and that's what I live for. That's why I love filmmaking. So, you know, and again, it. It was very interesting how we we're able to go, you know, have the, what we did is when we shot the film, we shot the first seven days in the real universe and the last three days in the parallel universe. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at each room where we shot. I was thinking, okay, what can we change? Right. You know, what can we keep the same? But what can we change at the same time? And I remember in the, uh, the dining room scenes, uh, luckily they, they had a dining room table there mm-hmm. and it was a three piece dining room table. So I was thinking, okay, you know, the real couple, they love each other. So they're going to have a two piece uh, as in like you take the middle piece out. Right. And it becomes like a two piece dining room table. So it's very they're very close together, very intimate. But the Mm -hmm. parallel one, um, you add that third piece in and because they're very distant, they don't want to sit next to each other. So it's stuff like that where you're able to think creatively. And how we, you know, I guess fit it into the space, which is, you know, here's, here's our, uh, here's our shot. So we, all the action has, has to take place in that shot. The cameras cannot move. And so, you know, I think that was, that was very challenging in a good way.
1: Well, and there's actually, um, there's actually a little bit of precedent for like sitting the camera in one place and locking the thing off and, and just running with the actors doing what they do. Uh, in the early, early days of cinema, back before anybody yes. knew how anything worked, yes. they would just set the camera up and film stage plays.
5: And yes, they would set yes, the camera right. up
1: in the middle and, and point it at the stage and just do the play. And this is back before anybody had figured out anything about editing or camera angles or anything like that. And you, you uh, in occupants, you find yourself in much the same situation. Well, the only, the only editing choices you have are, uh, are the beats of the action or the beats of the dialogue. You can't do anything, uh, or very little with the decision as to, uh, you know, what kind of camera angle to use because it's all, of course, it's all locked off. Yeah. You know, so it's, you're working with a, you're working in a very, it's like building a ship in a bottle.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> But but you're right. It is it, it was is very close to uh, a stage play.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, in in the uh, the olden days of cinema, I think they were trying to emulate plays because that's what people were familiar with. You know, they would watch plays in a in a theater. Mm-hmm. So they try to recreate that on film. And you know, over time, of course, then you have the narrative uh, narrative choices of a close up or a dolly shot. But you know, initially it was. Just like what we did in occupants, and I think one, one challenge that we had is when it goes from the real world real world to the parallel world, the shots have to stay pretty much the same. So the DP Emil Harris, he had to devise a divisive way that when we shot uh, the first seven days in the real world, right mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, the camera is placed in a certain position, let's say, in the living room. Well, then, you know, we get the living room scenes done in, I don't know, day one through three. And then we have to go back to the parallel living room on day day 10. I think that's what it was. Well, guess what? The camera is going to be moving between those days. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we have to shoot something else.
0: Oh, well, so, if you only have one camera, yeah. Just yeah, well, that's where your we camera was. So he
2: TV devised right? a way where he put marks on the ground, and he was able to position the camera so that was exactly like it was seven days prior. Oh, that's that great. was the genius of Emile Harris,
0: and that's that's like stage marks too. Yeah, you know I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, yes, it, so is. it is. Yes. tape tape on the stage floor, exactly. <laughs> yes.
0: Sometimes the low tech solution is the
1: correct one. That I'm <laughs> reminded of uh, the the guy who played Gentle. Uh, no no not general ben uh what was his name
0: Dan haggerty Dan
1: Haggerty he just passed away and uh there was a
0: uh grizzly Adams
1: yeah Grizzly Adams and they there
0: was a bear involved
1: right there was a bear involved and uh the story is that um uh uh he grizzly Adams was you know doing his lines or whatever and he totally went up you know totally blew his lines and And the director yells, cut, print. And he says, what the hell, guys? I totally blew my lines. Don't I get a do-over? The director says, the bear hit his marks. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
0: When I go up on my lines, I always feel it. You know, I could do worse. I could be a bear.
2: I think it's kind of hard to direct a bear. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the, you know, the bear's gonna it's like some days you get the bear and some days the bear gets you. And
2: <laughs> I see most days the bear's get me, but <laughs> So, so so you're
0: talking stagecraft. I'm thinking each of these people had to play two very different parts and uh I want to hear more about about the cha- those challenges of being the uh the, Oh, equally good-looking, of course, but uh, very, very different characters of, of the, be- the beginning and the alternate universes.
1: Brianna, what kind of a transformation yeah. did you have to go through?
5: Well, the first and, of course, most obvious is the physical transformation. Um, you know, Annie Curtis in normal life has blonde hair, and then uh, uh, parallel Annie has brown hair. And um, then there's the the color tones and the changing clothes and things like that, too. But, of course, um, one of the most difficult aspects of it is playing the same, you know, they were both born the same person, if you will, but just through the choices in their lives and the things that have happened to them, they've become very different people over time. And so, you know, you kind of have to create a character that has, you know, core values or core personality traits, but show them on their best day. And then also on their worst day.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about you, Michael? What was, what was your uh, transformation was, like? Uh, she,
3: she, uh, she pretty much said it pretty, uh, pretty well and pretty accurate. I think um, uh, she had all the, uh, all the, all the, uh, <laughs> the right points. Like, like she said at the beginning, it's the physical transformation. I, mm-hmm. my, you know, I got a, quick clean up and shave my face and, and, and it does really throw you into a different world and a different character. Even your appearance, if you stare yourself in the mirror, um, one day you have a full out beard and, and you're wearing different clothing. And the moment you get into your next character per se's wardrobe and haircut, um, you really feel like you're somebody else. And I think that really helped. Um, and, and it's all on the page also. Mm-hmm. Julia, uh, brought a lot of depth to, to both characters. Uh, parallel and uh, normal uh, Neil and, um, and Brianna's character. So I think uh, she, she did a great job bringing these characters to life and we kind of just had to live them and portray them.
1: Julia, how? Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, it looks very enticing. We haven't seen more than the trailer of it, but Julia, can you comment on uh, how, where this idea came from and how long it uh how long it rattled around in your brain before it became a script
4: um well this one i kind of started writing as soon as i had the idea uh i wanted i had been wanting to do something that was you know found footage in one location with essentially two actors you know and then we have the four characters and uh, and then the the Picardo character actually came in later. I just wanted to escape that location a little bit with a character that we only talked to uh, via Skype, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, so originally I'm like, all right, so I have two people in a house. What can I do that would be fun and exciting? And uh, um, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, all right, how do we make this sci-fi? Because I, I've been a lover of sci-fi for a very long time. And I just started to explore this idea of, you know, choices that you make in life and how those choices just start to shape your life without you really knowing. You know, it's a simple thing. You choose one career versus the other. And, you know, 10 years later, you could have been a completely different person. Um, and and then the, the character, uh, Parallel Annie, really, I just really started to think about, you know, what it would be like for her to see actually what would be like for both these women to see what their lives could have been like had they made these choices and you know what happens when your parallel self is a little bit jealous of your original self and vice versa. Um, and you know, and just to really explore this idea of like hating this other self that's out there and maybe living better than you. Um, and it, I wrote it really quickly. Uh, I wrote most of the first draft on a flight to Brazil. So like a 12-hour flight. And I think I had about uh, 80% of the script done. Uh, and then it took me another couple of months to really finish it and polish it. And that was a whole other few months of doing it. Um, and then when, uh, when Howard came on board and then when Russ came on board we went through and uh, back and forth, um, we all did a couple of rounds of notes and rewrites and more notes and more rewrites. Um, so that by the time they were on set, um, I would say there's maybe four or five different versions of the script. But we've all stayed really loyal to this original idea. Like The, the changes were really just finessing it, mm-hmm. which is, I'm forever thankful that like when I watch the film, I'm like, this is so close to the very first thing that I wrote um, as a writer that makes you really excited because that doesn't always happen
5: oh, a yeah, lot of fair, times you watch the never. film and
4: you're like this is a distant cousin from the script that I wrote <laughs> this is definitely the twin sister of the script that I wrote for
2: sure it's the parallel version of your script
4: <laughs> but it's the good no, it's really really close to like my original vision my original idea and that's really exciting um, as a writer that's
0: like one of the most exciting things ever
1: it's certainly a validation
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, so you've seen the movie in your head. When are the rest of us going to
2: see it? Is that directed at me? At whoever, whomever can answer. That's good. Right, Russ, it's you're the director. Really a question for me. Uh, we, you know, we completed the film in December of um, of 2015, and we had a, a private screening at the Writers Guild of America. Julia is a Writers Guild member. So uh-huh. they were, um, and through Julia, they were uh, kind and gracious enough to give us a private screening there. And now, what we're doing uh, since that screening is, we're submitting it to film festivals and comic book conventions. Mm-hmm. And you're you're actually going to be one of the first people to know this. But um, I was talking to the um, the. Director of the Florida SuperCon, and this morning, and the Florida SuperCon is one of the largest comic book conventions in the United States, and we're in. Oh, good! Awesome! That's great! Yay! That's awesome! And the only reason I'm saying this now is because I think uh, the show's going to air. I think on Saturday,
1: if I'm correct. That's right. It's going to air this Saturday.
2: We're going to announce it in the next two days.
1: That's cool. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks.
2: Yes, that's it is the awesome. first on this show. Um, but uh, this has been in the works for a couple of weeks. I just could not say anything.
1: That's awesome.
2: So that's what it, that's where you know people are going to be able to see the film. Um, you know, at least portions of it. Uh-huh. Bas- uh, basically, we are targeting the comic book conventions because mm-hmm. one of our actors is Robert Picardo of Star Trek Voyager. So next month in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, we're going to be screening uh, part of it at the Farpoint Convention, and that's a Star Trek convention, a major mm-hmm. one in its twenty-third year. Um, I, so I love the fact they, they accepted the film.
1: I love the fact that there is a Star Trek convention that isn't. There is a Star Trek. It it's quite not quite a creation few, con. Is one of no, bigger one.
0: No, Farpoint's fan run.
1: Huh? It's, been, it's one of the few that's left.
0: Well, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, Creation Creation Con basically well, pushed they got, all they the bought, other Star Trek. T-
0: they bought the license, out. And there you are, so. you know.
2: Yeah, and um, you know we have a, a trailer. The trailer that you watched, and we've been mm-hmm. trying to get that out there in preparation for the film itself, because the trailer was completed a couple months before the film. So I would say, you know what, you know what the heck? Let's just you know let's uh, promote the trailer. You know, just get the word out there to whet people's appetites. I hope. And so we've been submitting that uh, to various festivals. And there's this one called the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. And that's next month, um, February 18th to 27th. Mm-hmm. And that one, they're actually um, – it's it's a bigger festival because they're going to have a red carpet, I think, at the Arclight Hollywood. Oh, nice. And, um, and they're honoring Gene Wilder this year. So, you know um, – they required, you know, DVDs and, uh, oh boy, a, a, you know, a one sheet of our, you know, temporary poster. We're doing an official poster mm-hmm. as we speak, but right now we have a temporary one. And, uh, you know, they were, they have a lot of stipulations. I had to like fill up, you know, our, the synopsis, cast mm-hmm. and crew list, whatnot, you know, so.
1: Oh, and do you have um, to, uh, you have to agree not to put the thing on the internet while some of these, while your, your movie is in some of these uh, festivals, don't you?
2: This one was fine. This one's fine. Okay. Um, because it's a trailer. They, they have, you see, at film festivals now, they have competitions for trailers.
1: Mm, so I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know
2: what? This is just a good way to promote it. You know, we're up yeah. for an audience choice award at another uh, festival called the, uh, I guess, the Focus International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going, you know what? It's just a great way to get the word out there. So while, we're, while that's happening, what I'm doing right now is I'm compiling a list of film festivals, really good ones, um, in the United States and around the world. Same thing with the comic book conventions, and I'm submitting them. Mm-hmm. And we will not be hearing back until around April at earliest, so we don't know.
1: Yeah, because it takes um, a that's while we're for doing. them to turn through the film. Okay.
5: Uh, well, and- there's also one other really cool thing we're doing to help with the film's publicity. Um, Russ, do you want to talk about our comic book?
2: Yes, there is a spinoff of um, of Occupants. It's it's not it's not Occupants. It's, it's in fact it's tied to um, uh, how should I explain it in, in the film, right? Basically, uh, there's a company called the Peterson Research Institute, PRI,
1: mm-hmm. and that's
2: run by Dr. Peterson, which is Robert Picardo's character. And this case number, which is Occupants, is Case Eight Thirty One. Uh, which is actually a play on my birthday, <laughs> August 31st. But there are other cases before Case 831. And this one explores one of those cases that we created, which is Case 285. And basically we just came up with an idea that, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a spinoff.
0: Okay, well the of, potential um, is there for hundreds more stories.
2: Well that's what I'm saying. You you have we have to use video testimonials. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go on the website you can find them. Just go to uh the Peterson Research Institute. There is a website. <laughs> and we have all these testimonials.
5: What's the website people- URL, right?
2: What is the website URL? Off the top of my head, I think it's P R I dash research dot Oh, what was it? Uh, dot info. That's it. PRI-research.info. Well, yeah. you find, P R I research dot info. It can't be. It can't be
5: on occupants
2: Yes, you can find it on occupants So just go there and you will find oh, it. Good on for you, the Brianna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good. Good so. save. Good save, Brianna. Thanks, Brianna. <laughs>
0: yeah, because P R I dot org is Public Radio International, and I, I <laughs> different organization.
2: That's yeah. a little bit different. Yes, so. Um, but, yeah, we have all these testimonials and the fact is, look, Julia created a very, very diverse world um, and there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential in this world well, and a only, lot of people have been telling me this.
0: That's not only and, one world, is it? Hmm? It's not just yeah, one that, world.
2: You have, well, you have I, the potential. I mean, look, you have not just a parallel world. You have multiple worlds, mm-hmm. multiverses. Why? Why not? Why just one world? You know, I mean, you have the multiverse theory, right? We were in fact exploring putting a third, a third world into occupants. I remember Julia and I were talking about this, but it would have made it too confusing. Now, what the comic book can do, unlike the feature film based on budgetary constraints is we can explore the world, um, like let's say battles. Let's say, let's say in a parallel world, a certain country lost a war. And they're fighting another country that never existed. Well, we mm-hmm. can portray that in a comic book form. And that's what we're doing. And I'm working with my associate producer of occupants, Eric Kask. And we're working with uh, an artist from DC and Marvel Comics called Dave Beatty, And he has drawn already the first two pages and mm-hmm. a cover. And we're uh, finding ways to raise money to um, – uh, to raise it for the rest of it it's called a comic book one shot it's 24 pages in length so we need uh, I guess we're going to do like an Indiegogo campaign and mm-hmm. what we're going to do is um, we're going to have an official uh, release party where the artist is there and he's going to be signing uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of our covers that we did and we're going to it's going to be a release party I think in Mesa, Arizona and we're going to do that in a couple weeks
1: so this is a transmedia project. Yes, I mean it's it's really sure it has I, so much potential. I mean this is Julia. This is this is the thing that I admire about the project. It has so much potential from a conceptual standpoint. It's elegant in its in its basic structure. Thank you,
4: thank you, yeah,
2: it Julia. Could be anything where's the and sequel? Go <laughs> what? Where's the sequel?
4: Um, where's the money? <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Good, Good answer. answer. <laughs> was uh, the sequel lives in my head, you know. So, so uh, there's show the
2: potential. Me that you're ready to shoot it okay, and, I'm uh, going to, I'm going yeah. to get you a plane ticket, I'm going to get you a plane ticket to Brazil. you so another 12 hours to think.
1: There, there's a potential of, uh, you know, once, one of the things that uh, distribution companies love is films that are done and in the can and ready to ready to put out on, on the circuit. Yeah. And uh, have you have you thought about what your distribution is going to be like once you're done with the film festivals?
2: Well, it all depends on which festivals or Comic-Cons we get into. You know, I mean, what we're trying to do is make the film that much more uh, valuable mm-hmm. uh, as an asset. So if we get into a really good film festival, and let's say theoretically we won an award there. It's going to make the film uh, a gold mine for these distributors. And hopefully, we could have, like, let's say, a bidding war um, and we get a better deal.
1: hmm. I see. That's
2: what we're trying to do. So uh-huh. that's why we're submitting to festivals now. And a lot of uh, film festivals, they will not allow the film in if it has distribution. Right. Yeah, so that's why we're holding off on distributors. Trust me, we have distributors interested because this is my fourth feature film, and this is actually my fifth film with Robert Picardo. So Howard Nash, the producer, and I, we already have de- deals from, for our uh, previous films with various distributors, domestic and international. So they're waiting.
0: So you're also and And,
2: um, you know, it's we're just playing, I guess, the... Um, what you do in independent filmmaking—it's the same game. You know, you submit it to festivals, see what mm-hmm. happens, and then you go for the distributor. And that's what we're doing right
1: now. So it's so the uh, the stage at the moment is build up the value of the property. Now that it's yes. now that it's done, you're building up the value of the property so that oh, you yeah. can get the best possible deal when you go for the distributor. Exactly. Ah,
2: exactly. In it's fact, all what I was doing to before me now. the show, I was looking up uh, various international film festivals need a possible uh, submission.
0: I want to hear – now I want to hear about your previous films with uh, <laughs> Picardo. Well,
1: uh, they are um, – Are uh, they, are they all science fiction? Called... I, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. I interrupted you.
2: Oh, no. I mean, if you want to um, – my first two feature films, uh, one's called PJ as Robert Picardo as John Hurd, who's the Home Alone dad. Um, mm-hmm. And that's on Netflix on DVD. Uh, Chasing the Green is my second feature film. And that's also on Netflix on DVD and that stars Jeremy London, Party of Five, Ryan Hurst, Sons of Anarchy and mm-hmm. William Devane, who was directed by Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, who's a big uh inspiration for me. So, you know, that that was uh, that that was very humbling to be able to direct um, an actor of that caliber and then. Then, if you uh, the next film with Robert Picardo in the main role is the Legends of Nathaya, and you can see that on uh, Amazon. Wow! So those are my three wow. feature films. Um, and then I did a documentary with um, with with Bob Picardo, where he was the narrator, called Restoration of Paradise, and we just got distribution for that uh, through a company called It's Relevant, and that mm-hmm. was it happened a couple weeks ago, and the deal went. Uh, came through because of the producer, Howard Nash, who was the producer on that film. Um, So that's going to be... What were they restoring? hmm?
0: What were they restoring?
2: Oh, it was... um, They're restoring... I I live in Huntington Beach, and then there's uh, an ecological reserve, uh, which is very close to where my house is, and I would walk in the wetlands to relieve stress. Anyway, that... Ecological reserve is one of the last uh, last ecological reserves in Southern California. It's like a bird sanctuary. So what they were restoring was um, the water into the um, uh, the tidal inlet, uh, so that the water can, um, I guess, go back into the area where for a hundred years it was like very dry um, because they closed it off to make it into a gun club.
0: <laughs>
2: oh. I mean, if you watch the film, there, there's a lot of history at this. Um, at, at this, um, I guess at that location, so that's mm-hmm. why I decided to highlight um, the story of uh-huh. the Bolsa Chica wetlands. And yeah, anyway, so Bob Picardo, I mean, he was very kind and gracious and he narrated the project. Um, and uh, I think that was, um, he's definitely a valuable uh, team member, and I do wholeheartedly appreciate that he was able to do that and of course we now have done occupants together was
1: mm-hmm.
2: I was, um, I was you know, thinking it's a great it's so great to work with the with Bob Ricardo
1: I was thinking you know you mentioned uh, that Alfred Hitchcock had been one of your major influences yeah. and looking at how occupants is set up mm. and the meticulous care with which you control a you know, a, a finite world to produce exactly the effect you want. That's that's exactly the sort of thing Hitchcock did during his filmmaking we'll process. Look at Rear Window. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. exactly. It's all yeah, about it's all part- about oh, that yeah. kind of control.
2: To- now that movie's interesting because it really took place from a uh, from an apartment, right? I mean, got, the guy could not move because he had what a cast on his leg. Yep, yep, broke so it's his about- leg his POV of what's going on in, in uh, I guess, his complex. And, you know, I mean, if any other director had done it, I'm telling you, I think it would have been a disaster. But Hitchcock is just so brilliant when it comes to shot choices. I mean, one one, uh, one thing I like uh, is the use of shadows in my mm-hmm. film. Um, You know, Hitchcock did employ that. Film noir, that style from the 40s, that employed that. Um, I, I do like, um, you know, how shadows can, you know, connote, let's say, like, conflict especially internal conflict um, inside a, a certain character's head. And I'm telling you, our Annie and Neil Curtis characters, they definitely had conflict. <laughs> so, you know, we definitely employed uh, the use of shadows.
1: Julie had written a line about Hitchcock in the film. What was the line, Julia? Uh,
4: yeah, there's a a, a, a bit about um, the, the two characters are talking about how they're going to come across as these, like, pervy, you know, weirdos that like to watch people and then annie says that you know the nature of filmmaking is you know warriorism uh and then she mentions um hitchcock and a couple of other filmmakers
0: mm-hmm. um and
4: i, I my, in my mind i was definitely thinking of a rear window and you know and that's kind of what it is right when you like to make mm-hmm. films you're basically creating this world and the audience is just watching yeah. Um but because of the nature of the documentary they're making, at one point they stop and go, Wait a minute, are we being creepy here by watching these people in the parallel universe? Um
2: Who who don't know that they're being filmed. Yeah, exactly. They don't know. You know, so it's it's well, it is voyeurism.
1: That's an interesting idea and an interesting premise, and I'm looking forward to seeing the entire film. Uh, we have been speaking with Russell Emanuel, Julia Camera, Brianna White, and Michael Pugliese. I have murdered that name again, haven't I?
3: No, no, that was dead on.
1: Oh, great. Uh, that was dead on. R- Russ is the director. Julia Camera is the screenwriter. Brianna White and Michael Pugliese are the actress and actor, uh, who play Annie Curtis and Neil Curtis in Occupants. A new science fiction independent thriller. And we're very glad that you were able to, to be here.
5: Thank you for
2: having thanks, us. Thanks for having us. For sure.
1: Yes, thank you.
2: Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Susan.
1: Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 124 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for January 23rd, 2016, with your hosts Susan L. Fox and Gene Turnbow. Our guests this evening have been the creators of a new science fiction thriller called Occupants. They are director Russell Emanuel, screenwriter Julie Camera, and actors Michael Pugliese and Brianna White. To find out more about this motion picture, please visit OccupantsTheMovie.com. This episode will air again tomorrow, January 24th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern and at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Once all the air times have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at KatCarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, and we strongly suggest you do in light of the recent increases in music licensing fees, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was played by Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry, and the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.